Hello and welcome to the D2C Podcast. I'm Eric Dick. Today's guest is Shira Foyer, CMO of Trini London, a fast-growing eight-figure beauty brand that has revolutionized the makeup industry with its unique, organic, founder-led, content-driven approach. In this episode, Shira shares valuable insights into Trini London's enormous success, discussing the importance of founder Trini Woodall's persona and ongoing content creations, meeting customers where they are, and doubling down on what makes your brand unique. She also dives into the challenges and opportunities of scaling a D2C brand internationally and how Trini London is navigating the beauty industry's competitive landscape. So whether you're a skincare or makeup founder or simply looking to learn from a seasoned CMO executing on hypergrowth, it's time to get the skinny on Trini London. On with the show. I've worked for before, they'll create a couple pieces of content in a month and feel like that's great. But the truth is, the millions of pieces of content that consumers are consuming on a daily basis, it's just, you don't stand a chance if you're not actually creating consistent content as well. So figuring out how you can do that in an efficient way, in a scrappy way, like how can you shoot something on an iPhone that's good enough? And how can you make sure that it's entertaining and engaging for your audience or educational or inspiring or whatever it is to hook that audience and keep them watching? Everybody has lots of options and nobody likes to be sold to. So how can you use entertainment to bring people back? That's something that takes a lot of work to keep doing. In marketing, content is everything, but keeping up with the never-ending demand for UGC photos and videos along with generating product reviews at scale can be brutal. Coley solves this problem with their content generation platform. Coley is like a content fairy godmother, providing stunning photos, videos, and reviews that help turn your potential customers into happy ones. Bid farewell to exorbitant production costs and embrace the magic of Coley's solutions. World-renowned brands like Samsonite and Bonobos trust Coley's cutting-edge software and outrageously skilled customer success team to create the marketing assets they need. Transform your content game by visiting coley.com podcast. Shira, welcome to the D2C Podcast. I'm super happy to have you here. I was just looking a little bit more into Trini London and just the growth story that you guys have architected over there is just unbelievable. Welcome and tell me a little bit about Trini London. Tell me about the growth story you guys have experienced. Well, thank you so much and thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Um, Yeah, it's been crazy over the last few years. Launched in 2017, originally as a makeup brand. About a year and a bit ago, we launched skincare, which just completely exploded as well. We're a digital first brand. Uh, We have a little bit of retail, but it has been very much about D2C for us thus far. And we've really leaned into content as a major growth lever for us. So we call it impactful entertainment. And how can we use entertaining content to reach a wide audience and get them to know about our products, which are really good. So um, that's that's been the focus over the last few years and how can we continue to push boundaries and, and be creative with it. So that's that's been our major focus. Unbelievable. And what can you say about how big Trini London is at this point? So we've grown um, by a pretty huge factor. There's, there's a lot out there um, about it, but we've, yeah, I mean, it's a lot. Let's put it that way. It's a lot. Um, and yeah, it's about how can we continue pushing it as much as it's been over the last few years. So it's, it's really fast moving, um, but it's been good. Can't complain. 
how did you get involved? Uh, it, you know, I mean, but it sounds like about a year into the growth. How, how did you get involved with Trini? So they approached me about the role. Um, my background was very eclectic across marketing in terms of big companies like the Walt Disney Company and Burberry, startups, agencies. Um, so I'd done lots of different things. And they had definitely found product market fit in the in the first year, which was really, really amazing. And it was about how do we grow it? How do we scale it? So um, so that's what I joined to help with. And, you know, it's been a pretty wild ride ever since. But um, but yeah, they I mean, ultimately, they were creating products that people loved. And for any marketer, that's what that's what you need to play with, which is something that you can't always take for granted. So, you know, my first interactions with the brand, I wanted to make sure it wasn't just a famous person slapping her name on a product. I wanted to really make sure the products were good. So I went and tried them before I ever agreed to a meeting and I actually bought them because I liked them so much, which I wasn't expecting to do. So, um, so that's how it all began. And knowing that we had really amazing products and it was just how do we reach people? How do we get that message across as, you know, efficiently as possible, especially in the beginning. That was the goal, and so that's what we focused on. Back up a little bit and tell me a little bit about Trini herself, because this actually reminds me. I just had uh, Jones Road Beauty on the podcast, which has uh, you know Bobby Brown as their sort of iconic founder, and, and a lot of the maybe some of the initial traction comes out of having a little bit of that. What's Trini Woodall's background? I'm actually not familiar as a Canadian. Sure. So um, Trini had a show that was very famous called What Not to Wear. And it was massive in the UK. It also aired in countries around the world, including Canada. And she then had different shows as well. She had a segment on Oprah, for example, in the US. So she built a career in TV originally, and she was focused on not just fashion, but overall looks and the, and the, how, how women build confidence in terms of their whole look. So she was playing around with makeup a lot and she would sort of create her own shades and sort of smush them into little pots and and when she was on the go and instead of having a big dirty makeup bag she was all about like how can i create something streamlined that's exactly what i want so she was doing this while she was traveling the world doing tv and that was how the company originated was she took that experience that she had working with thousands and thousands of women so she was doing these effectively makeover shows and she got to really understand what women wanted and that was how she originally developed the business and it was taking that experience and she also is a person who tries everything so she has tried every beauty product you can imagine and so you can really trust her because you know She's tried the good stuff and the bad stuff. She knows what's worth investing in and where actually it's okay to spend less money. So, you know, she creates tons of content to this day. She loves Zara, but she also shops in Prada. She understands product. And so being able to understand what's worth investing in, what will last, you know, something with our products is they last really well. So you're buying really good quality premium products, but you know, they're not gone overnight. So she's kind of the ultimate consumer in that sense. And, um, and that's why you can trust her opinion. So over the years, when she moved into starting to create more social content, she's created a lot of content over the years, not just about what we sell. She still does a ton about fashion. She does, you know, wellness, fitness, and she's built a level of trust with a pretty wide audience who believe in her. So when we launched skincare a year and a bit ago, the audience believed in her about skincare because she was trying loads of different skincare from loads of different brands for years and they trusted her opinions on it. And it, it was a, a strategy that really, really worked. 
I can just see the product market fit looks amazing. Who do you define as your avatar for Trini London? Because I, I, I see men in some of the ads as well, which must be a real game changer for skincare and makeup to be able to appeal to both genders. Yeah, we do. We definitely have some men. I think we are, realistically, we are still majority women. And we really like to speak to the woman who's typically ignored in the beauty market. So... 35 plus and which is not old, right? Like I'm over 35. I do not consider myself old. And, um, but you know, it's a, it's an industry that to this day is obsessed with youth and you see other brands sometimes using token older women. They'll be like, here is the one woman with gray hair. And it's like, that's not, that's not enough. You know, this is, this is a massive industry with a massive opportunity to speak to an audience that has more disposable income, frankly, and is discerning and is willing to invest in good quality products. And yet as an industry, we just show 18 year olds, like that doesn't make any sense. So for us, it's really about showing primarily women who are relatable to our, our customer base. And, you know, Trini's a 59-year-old woman who's the founder of this business. She founded it when she was over 50, which is really inspiring. So we want to speak to those women who are ignored. It's It feels crazy in 2023 that this is still a conversation at all, but it, it is still very much an active conversation and, and a frustrating one. And as I've kind of aged into this demo, it's like you don't think of yourself that way. So when you see content that doesn't show anybody that looks like you, it's it's frustrating, you know? Let's talk about the content. What was the what was the term you coined around the content marketing again? Uh, oh, impactful entertainment. Impactful entertainment. Describe for me what impactful entertainment is and how you've used it to not only like scale organically, but like how does that scale like to the levels that you've scaled? Well, that's a great question. Um, I think it's about really getting close to the audience, understanding what they're interested in, having a creative team that pays close attention to watch time and duration on video content. So knowing that the goal, you know, they have very specific targets about creating content that's sticky that people will keep watching. And it's not just quality, but quantity as well. I see this with brands, I've seen it with brands I've worked for before, where, you know, they'll create a couple pieces of content in a month and feel like that's Great. But the truth is, you know, the, the millions and millions of pieces of content that consumers are consuming on a daily basis, it's just you don't stand a chance if you're not actually creating consistent content as well. So figuring out how you can do that in a in an efficient way, in a scrappy way, like how can you shoot something on an iPhone that's good enough? And how can you make sure that it's entertaining and engaging for your audience or educational or inspiring or whatever it is to hook that audience and keep them watching and keep them coming back for more and building that reputation that says, okay, we know, like people know we're good at this and they wanna keep coming back because everybody has lots of options and nobody likes to be sold to. So how can you use entertainment to bring people back? And like, we are very lucky. Trini is very entertaining on camera. So it's how can we leverage her on camera, but also how can we extend it beyond her? Cause she's, you know, busy lady. And, um, and as much as we'd love to film with her all day, we can't. So how can we extend that further always looking for new ways of creating content that continues to push the envelope and be market leaders in this space. It's it's a real USP for us as a brand and something that takes a lot of work to to keep doing. I love that you said scrappy. That's the mantra of the the agency that I'm partnered with with Pilot House when it cuz cuz it's quite often the content that works the best and really it's the velocity that matters. The people's uh, appetites for content is voracious. So what's your content distribution strategy then? Is this um, mostly through Instagram, TikTok? Like what are your distribution channels for your content look like? 
We're primarily on Instagram and Facebook. So Facebook is still important for us because we reach an older audience. We're doing a little bit here and there on TikTok and we will grow that, but we go where our audience is. We go where the opportunity is. YouTube is also really important. So YouTube is, our watch times on YouTube are crazy long. It's something like our average watch time is about seven and a half minutes long. So to be able to create long form, and when I say long form, I mean like 20 minute videos or, or you know, 10 to 20, I would say, that keep people watching. We create episodic content. We have a series, for example, called the Trinity Takeover Show. It's like a TV show. And we've created seasons of it and people continuously come back. And there's an opportunity long-term with some of that long-form content to use it over time. So part of the strategy of our team is how can we make the most of the content, not just across channels when we publish it the first time, but actually does it have a life? Can we treat it like a repeat of, you know, it's like Friends, we were talking about this earlier. Friends is 28 years old and yet it's still as powerful on Netflix today as it ever was. How can we use our long form content and content, it could be short form too, but actually that people love, that they learn from, that they engage with. How can we use it more than once so we can really extend the life of it? So that's something that, that we have a team actively working on that it's not just about creating it in the first place, but about reaching as many people as possible. Also because people miss it, right? Just today, we republished something that we created. We have a product called BFF SPF, and we had a couple shades that came back into stock, and we had created a video that was basically like the sound of music um, of Trini being Julie Andrews and promoting BFF. And we created it quite a while ago, and the product's back in stock today, so we pushed this piece of content. It's a little bit more produced than most of the stuff that we do, but it's funny, whatever. Anyway, so we pushed it today and the comments on it, so many people thinking it's brand new and that we launched it because the product's back in stock. Not the case, right? We've published it before, but you don't always hit everyone all the time. So reusing content, there's a real opportunity in it and um, being able to reach a broader audience with something that, you know, just basically maximizing the investment that you put in. We talk all the time about repurposing organic content for ads. And actually, we, we published an, an example a couple weeks ago of a – we did the reverse, actually. Where we published a, a, a well-produced ad on, on a client's shorts feed, and it got 500,000 free impressions on, on shorts just as an ad, which was a big revelation for us. We're now doing it with all of our clients. But I'm curious, when you produce such entertaining, high-value sort of episodic content, what does the pipeline look like from your organic to your paid content? Are you ever reusing your organic on your paid side? We are, and sometimes we're editing it. Um, sometimes we use it directly. It really depends on what the content is. Um, we test everything. So if we're going to see a strong return on ads, ad spend, we'll, you know, we're pretty open to what that can be. We're lucky, again, that we have Trini who will create bespoke content for ads, and she's very good at getting the viewer's attention. But yeah, we do this a lot. So um, we do something that's like makeup of the week, and it's really simple. Trini putting on a combination of makeup for the makeup of the week that week. We do it as editorial content. It also performs it as ads. So we're open to trying everything. We definitely do also create bespoke ads as well. But um, anything where we can maximize the use of content across channels, it can include email, it could include influencer content. I mean, there's, there's so many different ways. Everything's cross-promoting everything. So we're trying to maximize the value of everything that we do. What does your ad mix look like at this point? It sounds like it's going to be very heavy Instagram, Facebook. Is that where the bulk of your, your paid ad spend goes? Uh, a lot of it goes there. We run TV as well. Um, TV is oh, cool. a really good channel, linear TV. Um, so that's probably Facebook, Instagram, and TV is probably the majority, I would say, at the moment. But 
always shifting, always open to different channels um, and trying them for different purposes. So for example, when we launched skincare, we did an out of home campaign in our home market of London because it's where we're most well known as makeup brand. We really wanted, it was more of a brand driven campaign which is not something we do all the time, but there was a real purpose for it. And, you know, we know from everybody in London, everybody saw that campaign. So it, it really depends on what our objectives are at the time. I think I probably know the answer to this, but as a, a CMO so focused on content across both TV, um, this episodic content on YouTube, how do you look at attribution? And maybe it may be specifically on things like TV, when you're doing big TV campaigns. I'm just curious how, in your position, you look at attribution for channels like that. So... You know, cross-channel attribution is hard for anybody. When you're a brand like ours that does so much editorial as well as earned content by influencers and press, it's really, really hard. So we do the best we can. We've tried different tools that are on the market. I was very close to doing a study with econometric modeling, and then I decided at the last second that they wouldn't do a good enough job incorporating all of the organic stuff that we do, which is a huge proportion. So in terms of how we measure it, so TV, for example, we're using the likes of TV squared. So we're, we're measuring it on a performance basis, understanding that it's a conservative view. We pair it with, you know, how did you hear about us surveys? We're looking at all of our first party data. We're layering data together all the time to try and understand what's driving incrementality, running incrementality tests, seeing where we can see things make a difference. The truth is when you're a brand that does so much organically and has such a belief in editorial content and a belief in earned media, it's never going to be 100% science. And I think it's really important to embrace that if you want to have a little bit of secret sauce and a little bit of magic, it's going to be harder to measure. So I've been lucky that I work for a business where that's really understood. And I work for a founder who grew up through TV. So she understands the power of different media and press and everything that goes with it. So I really attribute a lot of our success to the fact that we weren't measuring everything so tightly that it didn't give us the opportunity to expand creatively. So it doesn't mean we are not looking at data. We very much are every single day, but we have the freedom to do things that we believe in because we all know we get influenced by press or by out of home or whatever it may be. And the content that we create, we, we're just really close to it. We see how many people are watching it, how long they're watching it for. And our customers tell us that's how they're discovering our brand. So having that level of belief is really important. Are you a Shopify brand owner looking to win, keep, and grow your customers? Everyone knows apps are fast becoming the best way to increase retention and boost sales. A sleek and engaging app normally means two things, time and money. But AppTile have changed the game. Their seamless no-code editor enables beautiful, personalized journeys for every customer. And with their free plan, nothing is stopping you from getting started. You'll pay as you grow, not as you go. So whether you're just starting out or a Shopify superstar, head over to apptile.com today and start designing your dream app. Let's talk a little bit about earned media because I see I see the press hits everywhere. You you are sort of a celeb led brand, which helps a little bit in that regard. But talk about your overall earned media strategy and how much uh, energy and attention goes into it. A lot of energy and attention goes into it. Um, 
Trini's, we, we don't, we don't like celebrity brand. We don't like that. Phrase. No, sorry. It's all good. Um, but we've really, you know, Trini was on reality TV, you know, back in the day. And it was really important to us that people understood the, that she's like a bona fide founder, a real entrepreneur, someone who understands product. So part of what we're doing with earned media is, you know, when there's profile pieces on her in the FT and the New York times in Forbes, like it's, this is serious press. This is not the, just the Daily Mail. We get the Daily Mail too. But like, it's really how can we reach a broad audience base? And Daily Mail is wonderful for that. But also, how can we really get the messages across about the fact that Trini's built a very serious beauty brand that where the products speak for themselves? And how can we talk about different products that we're launching? How can we talk about the business as a whole, the impact that we're having on customers? Because we have the most passionate customer base I've ever encountered of any you know business I've ever worked at. So it's really important for us with, with the earned activity that we do that we get the message across of who we are because it's easy to get misinterpreted. It's easy to get lumped in as a celebrity brand, right? And it's not. It's, it's genuinely efficacious products that people, our retention rates are really, really high, unusually high for the industry. And the reason for that is that people like the products at the end of the day. And that's, that's the message we need people to understand. And the legitimacy comes across with you saying, Trini trying, she reminds me of Thomas Edison, like trying every uh, light bulb filament before he found one that works. It sounds like she's the same with skincare and makeup. Yes. Um, I have never made the Thomas Edison comparison, but she will like that very much. So I will, uh, I will go back with that. Yeah. It's, she really, I've never met anybody who has tried so many products ever. She's in, it just, she's just very curious. That's, and that's the thing. And she's been able to use that curiosity and that she gets a real sense of satisfaction of finding the products that are the best, finding the ingredients that are the best. So, you know, it was really important to her when she was creating products was that they were better than anything else she could find from competitors. So that was such a priority for her. And it's been great seeing that process and how it works so that we can deliver products that people do buy again and again, because that's ultimately what you want. You want something that somebody loves so much that they'll buy it again and they'll tell their friends. And, you know, we see that Especially we have a few hero products, but we see it across the board with quite a few categories, which is really great. What are your hero products? Well, um, one of them is called BFF, and it is a skin perfecter. It basically makes your skin beautifully glowy. Um, others are on the skincare side of things. So, for example, we have a serum called Plump Up, which does what it says, makes your skin look plump and glowy and healthy. And we've got a few. Um, but really, I think we've been fortunate that people have understood that with skincare, it takes a routine. It shouldn't just be about one single product. So people have bought into lots of products. With our makeup, people are buying into the stack and people love stacking our makeup as well as buying our skincare makeup hybrids, which are, so BFF is an example of that and they have really great skincare properties. So it's not just making you look good, but actually having a positive impact on your skin as well. So. We've been lucky that we're not dependent on any one single product and that people really, once they're bought into the brand, they really do try different things. And, you know, we have sampling of different products to get them on board and there's lots of different ways that we, that we do that. So it's, it's been lucky that, that people have understood what we're trying to say. And I mean, the products speak for themselves. So once they're in the door, um, we're, we're pretty good at, at getting them to stick around. 
you mentioned that you have such a passionate community, passionate customers. Where does this come across? And then what are you doing to continually nurture that ember? Because I know just having a community of passionate users is such a flywheel for any business. What, what do you attribute that to? I guess the product, the product market fit. But then what are you doing to really perpetuate that and get it to keep flying? So the most extreme version of this is called the Trini Tribe. So the Trini Tribe is um, several different Facebook groups. So that's where they live. There's over, I think, 120,000 people, primarily women. Um, we've got a global one that we run as a team. And then it was originally, the whole thing was originally created by um, a fan of Trini's who just really liked the kind of content Trini was sharing. And it grew really organically. So we run the global one, but then we have individual ones around the world in different countries um, and different regions. And those are all run by individual ambassadors who are, you know, volunteering to do it out of their love for the brand, you know, the love for, for what we stand for and promoting women being their best. So within these groups, they're not just talking about our products, but also fashion, lifestyle, lots of topics that sort of just shared interests. It's the best gift we could ask for because they will always promote our products better than we ever could because it's, it's real people. And what's important is that we're not controlling those conversations. So if somebody doesn't like something, then they say it and we don't shut that down because we want that trust to be there. And when you're selling primarily online, trust is such an important factor. So having this very passionate group of advocates sell our products on our behalf effectively, just because they've seen the, the difference it makes in their own lives, there's nothing better. So they're the most core um, in terms of our community, the peak advocates. But I think what's important with them is that we don't get overly involved. You know, we have events with them, we do different things with them, where we can, but it is really led by them. And um, we take a back seat because we want them to continue to own that conversation. Amazing. Um, I see match to me and that it makes me, I, again, I think of just this podcast I just did with Jones Road Beauty. They run all of their paid advertising, not to their, not to homepages, not to their landing pages or sales pages. They, they run it all to their quiz that helps people find the right products. And I'm curious, talk to me a little bit about match to me and, and the role it plays in the, in the purchase cycle. So Match to Me is really powerful. There's actually two. So there's one for makeup and there's one for skincare. And um, for makeup, it's looking not just at the shade of your skin, but your skin, hair, and eye combination. Because basically what it's saying is if you change any one of those things, the shades that you choose will change. And then for skincare, it's a little bit different because it's much more about skin concerns. But in both cases, providing a highly personalized solution. So it, it takes the difficulty out of buying online and, and you can trust that you're getting a solution that's really personalized to you. So Match to Me has been incredibly powerful for us. And in terms of the likelihood of purchase, you know, people who do Match to Me are much more likely to purchase because they, they have that confidence. So as a tool for us, it's a, it's a real USP because a lot of brands do have different quizzes. Ours has a lot more science behind it than some of the more simple ones do. And so the accuracy of what it produces is really quite astounding. And even in our retail locations, our staff in those locations will go through Match to Me with customers in store because it's giving them, the makeup artists, the ability to feel really confident in the in the choices and to make sure they're they're sharing the right choices with customers that are personalized to them and are the best possible options for them. And it works. You know, our customers are using it and they're coming back because it is working for them really well and it makes it so much easier to buy and, and to trust us. So it's a hugely powerful tool for us. 
so you, you're mostly online, but you definitely have retail. And I see that you have, it's all dedicated retail, it looks like, as opposed to wholesale. Is that, that's, that's been the strategy there is to maintain the brand even in retail? At the moment, yep, that's true. I think over time that will shift eventually, but we really have been passionate about creating that personalized experience. And to date, in all of our locations, we have our own staff, and that makes a difference because we want the touch points for the brand to be the same, whether it's on the site, whether it's in social media, whether it's in store, doesn't matter. Um, so, you know, it's going to evolve as we grow for sure, but to date, the people, the staff that we have working in those physical locations are so important because when we look at how we want to be perceived as a brand, we want to be really joyful. We want to be helpful. We want it to be a good experience. It's very common with makeup counters or skincare counters in you know department stores. People can be really intimidating and it can be uncomfortable for a customer to walk up and feel comfortable, especially sometimes when it's an older customer. And we wanted to eliminate that. So being able to create this unified brand ethos, regardless of the touch point, was so, so important to us from the beginning. Um, and it's something I think we have maintained. I hope we have maintained because we want those experiences to just be really enjoyable no matter what. Tell me about the shape of your marketing team as a CMO of, of a large-scale company at this point that does so much on the organic side. I'm sort of curious about, like, what, what does the shape of your marketing team look like at this point? So it is a big team, um, and the reason for that is because of the volume of content that we produce. So that and also our community management. So we – about half of the team is a creative team, So a lot, and a lot of that is video production because we are just doing so much on a regular basis. So that and then – designers, uh, art direction, copywriters. So that team is a real powerhouse and it's really unusual because it's, you know, we are as much a production studio as we are a beauty brand. Beyond that, you've got all the different channels. So you have performance marketing, life cycle marketing, editorial, then our big community team, um, which we answer every single comment across all of our brand channels, but also Trini's personal channels. And it's worth saying that our video production team is also making all the video content for Trini's channels as well. So we look at it holistically. We've got a comms team, which does all of our PR and influencers work, product marketing. I think that's everybody. Uh, but there's it's, it's a big machine. We don't outsource very much. Um, we like being able to work at pace and at volume. So it is a big team, but um, because we really see the value of that entertaining content, we need to be able to create a lot of it. And so um, that's, that's a really big focus for us. I'm curious, we worked with um, a UK derivative actually of a Unilever company and they were launching a product in the UK. We were making creative for them and there was a lot of requirements about the kinds of kitchens we could have and the look of people. And I was just curious, do you diversify your marketing when you're marketing to the UK versus the US? Do you run different creative or different ads or is it, is it all the same? Generally, we find that our customers have much more in common than they have differences. So I'm trying to think of examples. I mean, we, you know, we optimize what ads are working based on the market, but in terms of creative and in terms of, you know, that kind of stuff, not really. I think um, it's, it's mostly relatively universal because we do find, I mean, the only thing is in, in markets where, you know, languages are different that needs to be taken into consideration. But beyond that, we find that, you know, a 50-year-old woman in New York and a 50-year-old woman in London are relatively similar. And then, you know, you might have bigger differences between cities and smaller towns within the same country, let alone internationally. So that's something that we think about. But 
universally the content is is pretty well received similarly around the world to be honest what do your goals look like in uh, in 2023 well it's continuing to grow the way we have been um a lot more international um, we've got some very exciting new products coming up uh it's just about continuing to reach our customer and new customers who are like her um, and and getting that message to them because, you know, beauty is a, is a huge industry. And so it's, it can be hard to get cut through. So it's how can we continue to create marketing, market leading content that gets that cut through? And um, it's no easy feat, but that's the goal. How do you think, do you think of organic as your main top of funnel across all these channels? And then lower funnel, you're reaching them, you're retargeting with ads, you're reaching people, driving them into, into, this, into the purchase cycle once they're brand aware. Is that how you think of it? Or do you, do you have just as much of a focus on paid at the very top of funnel as well? Yeah, it's both. And, and it depends, you know, different customers are also different. So you will have somebody who knew Trini from her days on TV and has been following her for years and years. You'll have somebody who, we had a lot of people discover Trini during lockdown, for example, on YouTube. So people who came in organically that way. You have a lot of people who who see our ads. You know, we do spend on advertising. So some people come in that way, but it isn't really the sort of traditional funnel in many ways doesn't apply because there's a lot of touch points and people go back and forth and they might hear about us in press and then see an ad and then look into Trini and who she is and then start following her content and then see another ad and then hear something from a friend and that, you know, it's, it's just not, I can't look at it in such traditional terms because um, we do so much in different places intentionally because we know that our customers interact with digital in different ways. Even within the age demo that we target, a 35 year old interacts with digital very differently than a 60-year-old, right? So how can we reach both of those people who are equally important to us in ways that work for them? You know, the Trini tribe is its whole, it's its own universe, you know, and it's so, so powerful and that lives on Facebook. So it really varies, it really does. Have you thought of an app? I I just see a lot of brands with lots of SKUs and great communities and all these things um, building towards building an app. Is that something that's on your radar? Uh, no, <laughs> in short, no. um, we don't have enough SKUs in my opinion from, as a consumer, I would, yeah. I wouldn't download an app from a brand like us because we're not a retailer with tens of thousands of SKUs. And, you know, some people say, okay, well you can go down the community element with an app, but the truth is we want to meet our customers where they are. And our customers are very much on Facebook groups in terms of where they want to interact with, with the community. So I don't want to create an environment where I feel like I'm forcing people over. I don't, I I don't, I just don't think there's a need for it, to be honest. So no, it's, it's not a focus for us at the moment. So we always ask a question and usually we say 50,000, but you're a a larger scale brand. So I I don't know, let's just say a hundred thousand and you have to use it in a month. But if we were to give you a hundred thousand dollars, um, to be used in your marketing, say next month or in the next few months, but over the course of 30 days, is there anything that you'd put that towards? Is it, you, would you put it incrementally towards something you're already doing or would you use it to test something that you have in mind? Such a good question. Um, ooh, requires some thought, but I think, you know, the first thing that immediately came to mind when you said that I would love to take my production team, fly them all to the U S and film a season of the Trini takeover show on the ground in the U S and that's something, you know, as we grow, 
in that market. We do so much of our content on the ground in the UK. I'd love to be able to do more of what we do really well internationally and it's expensive. So if I, you know, that's what immediately came to mind. I don't know. There's so many different ways we could spend it, but it's just, that's something that's, you know, it never gets the priority, like travel and expense costs for something like that. But I would, I just think the content we'd, we'd produce there would be so great. So that would probably be my answer. It makes me think of, uh, we had a, a brand on that, that kind of fell into a Netflix show. They ended up pitching Netflix and they ended up with a Netflix show. And they, I think it's like t- to this day, I think it was five years ago, the Netflix show aired, but it's still something like 15 to 20% of their incremental revenue just comes from people being aware. Mm-hmm. If, if anyone in Netflix is watching and if, if that's <laughs> something Trini would want to do, I feel like you could, you could pit, you could do a pretty cool like Netflix show that could have a lot of legs. It's not a bad idea. Well, Netflix, <laughs> if you're listening, get at us. Um, Finally, Shira, I have to ask, as a Canadian living abroad in the UK, what what do you miss most about about not being in Canada as a as an expat? You know, the people, the people, the culture, the the friendliness. I love London so much. I really do. I'm a Londoner now, but there's nothing like going home. You know, it's just everybody's so nice, <laughs> and I do we miss that. And ketchup chips. We also have ketchup <laughs> and all dressed chips. Sure. Those are the yeah. other two crisps, crisps as you call them there. Yeah. Um, I've never been to London and I know actually London is out – when when we look at, at D2C, we look at our subscriber base. Um, we have – most of our subscribers are in the US but most – the most populous city of subscribers we have is London mm. because it's just such a D2C hotbed over there. Yeah. Um, are you is, – is Shoreditch, right? Shoreditch is like the Brooklyn of – of the, of London in terms of like per you can't throw a stone without hitting a D to C founder is that right? Well, if you look behind me, the window behind me, that's you're looking at Shoreditch. So um, so yeah, there's a lot going on around here. Um, yeah, it's great. It's you know you're never bored in London, right? So yeah, it yeah. definitely is a hotbed for startup activity and and the culture of growth here is is really unique, I think, and um, has been really great for us. Very cool. Well, we have a lot of skincare and makeup uh, founders and brands that listen to this podcast. Do you have any final words uh, for brands who are, let's say they're looking for traction? Because I feel like that's the hardest thing in a way is just getting that initial traction, that product market fit. Any any words of advice for for brands looking for that, that traction? I think it's about figuring out what is genuinely unique for you and why anybody would care and really doubling down on what that is. And yes, you need to do all the things that everybody needs to do with performance marketing and, you know, e-commerce optimization, but it's like, what's your secret sauce? What's that special thing for you that isn't necessarily super scalable? That does break the traditional rules, but that's your thing. You know, for us, that's what content has been is, is we've done it in a way that is really, truly very unusual. And, um, I, you know, I owe Trini for that because she started that before I joined the business. You know, she, it was her and one other person running around London with an iPhone. You would see this content and it was like, this is weird. Like it was just, it was so strange. It's the kind of thing that people would say, don't do that. But actually it was, that's what got cut through. It was so different. And so we've really, really expanded upon that. So, you know, for any brand, what is that thing for you that, what's the thing you can shout about? What's a way you can communicate that makes you a little bit different and, and understanding what your consumer wants. It's very easy to forget her. So how can you really keep her in mind and be realistic while also working with whatever works for you in terms of creative, in terms of channel, in terms of what you're doing? 
And then when it comes to scaling, I just think you've done such a unique, and, and this is all credit to, you know, Trini has a lot of the credit for starting this content flywheel, mm-hmm. um, but big credit to you for scaling it as far as you have. Like organic, like, you know, you can scale ads all day by by adding budget, but to scale organic content takes a lot of forethought, I think probably, and a lot of repurposing and a lot, a lot of edits and a lot of posting. So good on you for that. I mean, it's down to a really brilliant team that understands content and, you know, they spend so much time going back and forth on what they want to make in the first place. And then once they make it, going back and forth to ensure that it's edited in a way that is going to appeal to to the viewer. So the team is quite astounding in terms of the machine that they've built over the last few years. Well, Shira, thanks for coming on the D2C podcast. Uh, I look forward. I'm going to be in London. I'm going to make it a priority. I'm going to be in London in 2023, so we can go out for some crisps. Great. You should come to the Maple Leaf Pub on Canada Day. It's awesome. Okay. All right. I'll be there. Thanks, Shira. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumeralloneword.co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast. We'll see you next time.